0: Today on our Tech for Business podcast, Todd, our COO and CISO, and Nate, our Director of Cybersecurity and VCISO, are back again to answer our Cybersecurity Corps audience questions. And two questions I didn't put on the list, but were super important to someone in the audience was, Nate, how do you keep your hair looking so good after a long day at the tech fair? lots of hair gel (laughs) lots of hair gel lots of hair gel lots of hairspray are you are you a hairspray guy or is it just gel i
1: don't know just one of those pomades just yeah hop out of the shower put it in your hair go forward and don't really give it a second thought right so i
0: I mean these are the burning questions we need to like Mm -hmm. and then todd they were asking you know we i I see that we're both rocking our our little uniform from that day, these amazing little vests. And they asked, how come Todd looks the best out of all of us, out of 40 employees that were there, you were rocking the (laughs) vest.
2: I I don't know why. That is not in my, (laughs) that would not be anything I would, I can do the Kirk Cousins things if anybody was a, a Vikings fan. My wife dresses me. She doesn't, but it sounds good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the marketing team kind of dressed you that day. <laughs> they did,
2: yeah. They did.
0: <laughs> uh, is, is our vests kind of a, a go-to thing for you, or was that just on that day?
2: No, it was just that day, and I actually I'm wearing it today, too, for those that don't have video. But, no, I actually don't really understand vests it is i don't and here i am wearing it today but i think they're weird in general just because from my perspective i'm like if you're cold you usually put on a sweatshirt or something along that line and everybody even responds says, well it's when your core gets cold and i was like does your core get cold but not your arms that doesn't happen to me i'm i'm totally with
1: you. i usually hate vests but when marketing goes and gets a north face vest, uh, they're pretty great so yeah we
0: gotta wear and it. they
1: look stylish i hate the fluffy poofy vests.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: these are the nice thin sporty ones so
0: well speaking of core we're jumping into cyber security course uh, last week we talked mfa and passwords and we covered a little bit of policy and this week we're talking A lot about ThreatLocker, because we had very specific questions, but also some end-user training, some AI, lots of different things. So just to jump in, it it feels like it's maybe going to be a little bit of a a sales pitch for ThreatLocker. So so we can broaden it out if you want, but a lot of people asked about ThreatLocker, how it's stacking up to to Microsoft, PAM, how it's handling those custom-coded softwares, and then... Mm -hmm how do we see threat locker and breach detection like Huntress, which I do not know what that yep. is, but uh, playing into your best practices. So kind of however you want to take that.
2: Okay. I do Can do, I start yeah. real quick? <laughs> Of course. Okay. Um, it's, it's been a little bit from our end since we had the the security cores conversation, but just kind of refresher. There are a couple of things that, that we re- were coin as the non-negotiables. And just on a real brief, if, if anybody missed those, their endpoint detection response, multi-factor authentication, cybersecurity awareness training, and or phishing simulations. And then the last one was kind of doing audits. And so you kind of got to do those things. And, and then to get into part two, if the if you're doing that thing, what's next? Uh, I'm going to kind of repeat what I said the last item was, yep. is you kind of need to reassess. And and we actually go out of our way to do that every single year. And if you've looked at what's been happening over the years, there's a good reason for it. Everything changes. And, and a 12-month period in cybersecurity, unfortunately, is an extremely long time. Um So a good example of this is a couple of years ago, ransomware attacks were we're just going to encrypt your data. We're going to send you a ransom note. That's the end of it. And people said, okay, well, one of the best ways to combat that is having really good backups. Well, great. They pivoted and said, well, not only am I going to do that, I'm going to exfiltrate your data, show you that I have it. So even if you can restore, I still got you. And those kinds of things are just constantly changing and updating and we need to be making sure that we're doing what we can to protect ourselves our our customers etc so that reassessment to me is a very very big deal is you just kind of have to reset and say where are we today what's happened in the world
1: just a quick example of what we've actually seen uh, changing here and these are examples from just the past month is in the past uh, when we're talking about you know Office 365 and Azure and the, the entire Microsoft ecosystem, there is what we've seen is there's also been a transition. So while phishing attacks and you know that stuff will never stop, what we've seen a little bit is rather than a lot of the spam and you know that kind of activity, or you know trying to encrypt the actual on-premise infrastructures, as more and more people move to the cloud. In the last month, we've seen a lot more resource hijacking essentially in Azure. And so what this means is that your credit card is already associated with your Microsoft account. And so if someone can get in with admin permissions and go in and spin up new virtual disks, virtual servers in your Azure environment, it's on your credit card. Right. And so they didn't have to pay anything to go set up a a spam relay, something to further their phishing attacks. And then it all comes from your tenant, which makes it under risk of Microsoft trying to suspend your account there because you're doing malicious activity. And so we've actually seen quite a few of those in the last month or so in different flavors. So I won't go too deep into that, but getting back to the need of regularly tuning your audits to address the the modern threats.
2: Yeah, the, the one thing that I would kind of tally off of that is saying, you know, again, what's next? I was reading an article somewhat recently and, and I can I can find it and we can post it in our notes, too. But one of the articles I was reading recently was talking about how your insurance organization is becoming your new auditor. And it does make sense, right? I mean, m- most regulated organizations, the reasons why they have audits is because they're typically insured by somebody else. So, you know, banking, you're looking at FDIC, et cetera. And. This is not different when it comes to cybersecurity insurance. And when they get their information, well, what are they doing? They're looking to what already exists, and they're saying, "Well, why would I reinvent the wheel?" Mm-hmm. But they see, kind of like us, to a large degree, they see what's changing in the industry, they see what's being exploited, they get all that information, and their whole job is to to mitigate risk. And so, when they're coming to you and saying, "Hey, I think you need to do," you know, two years ago was multi-factor, and then we're saying, "Okay, well now it's EDR," the next big one. Ariel already attached to, to us already, it's going to be privilege access management, so I'll tip the hand a little bit. But the where that's coming from is they're saying what's going on in the industry, what do we need to do? I did throw CIT into this bucket as well, because as an organization, we work with across industry healthcare, finance, education, you name it, we do it. Um, and so we see everything and you can quickly pick up trends. This is the way people are getting exploited. Here's the weaknesses and defenses. Here's why this organization got attacked and that one didn't. So when we're coming up with recommendations and whatnot, that's what's driving it. It's partly what we see, but we're also looking and and working, quite frankly, in lockstep with the insurance organizations to make sure that customers, companies are getting what they need to help mitigate the Mm -hmm. risks that are being presented again, how it changed from a year ago till now. Yeah.
1: And then just one last tally on that, and then we can actually chat about some of those tools and stuff is the as we're working with those insurance organizations the other thing is that when we see a few insurance questionnaires start to adapt new language those are early indicators of where the rest of the industry is going to go and so that's where we tend to take those early indicators and help start communicating that to the customers so that way when the insurance renewals do come out you're already prepared for them
2: And I'm going to throw one more thing on there because my favorite catchphrase is one more thing, is that there are some insurance organizations that do lag behind and and some organizations say, well, I'm not being forced to, so I'm going to push that off. I would remind you when you hear things like this coming up or at least highly recommend, you do kind of pay attention to what's happening in the industry while you're not necessarily forced to do it it again was designed to reduce the risk to your organization. It's not because somebody made you, it's because we're trying to basically eliminate or minimize the likelihood of a bad day.
0: So you kind of answered my my last question, which was, you know, if there was, if you added something to this core, it would be this PAM solution. And again, to, to avoid too much of a sales pitch, but how does Threat locker kind of stack up to other ones or is kind yeah. of dealing or fits into like best practices?
1: Yeah, so I can uh, kind of take one step back just to build the foundation and then we'll come mm-hmm. into, yeah. you know, ThreatLocker or any of the other solutions out there. So privilege access management is essentially limiting administrative access to different software or anything like that until you absolutely need it same thing of applications don't need to necessarily run unless you've given them approval to run, and then you can contain the behavior of them into uh, what, what's intended. So, for example, we want to be able to run PowerShell for checking the name of a computer, right? There's nothing malicious about that. Now, we don't want PowerShell to go call into the Internet and download new scripts. Um, and if we do want it to go out to the Internet, can we contain it to the areas where we know we need it to Connect to essentially right. So that's the premise of a access or an application whitelisting privilege access management tool. There's a lot of different flavors out there, some free, some that are licensed. And so the the two most common ones that I'm gonna kind of touch about here is gonna be something like uh Applocker, which Microsoft is now switching it to uh, Wdac, DAC, I believe. Uh, don't ask me the, the acronym because I just live in acronyms. Uh, <laughs> but it's essentially the AppLocker component of Windows. And so <laughs> what AppLocker just for the, the rest of the podcast here today, I'm just going to keep saying AppLocker. That's Microsoft's free solution. So in AppLocker, the, the premise of that is you have to go to each device, run a PowerShell script, inventory all the software on the environment, and then Go back to the server you know the system and build the policies surrounding that and so then if there's new changes in software let's say there's various updates or something like that you have to go reapprove those modify your policies that kind of stuff so while it's free on the licensing you what you do is you pay for it on the labor side um and so for small businesses where they don't have IT resources to be able to dedicate that time, those la- that labor cost can greatly exceed um, the the value that they would want to put into play there. Where the threat locker comes into play is it's doing the same application whitelisting that app locker can do, but what it does do is that it automatically inventories the software and system drivers and everything like that when it's first installed. And it goes into what they call a learning period for a bit. And so when it's sitting in a learning period, it's dynamically building all those policies for you, which which is the labor intensive component. And then the other thing is that AppLocker doesn't have a audit log essentially of all the software that's trying to run on these systems you'd have to go either to those different uh, desperate systems and try and figure that out if something was blocked threat locker you can go into a single pane of glass for all systems and figure out what's going to be blocked if I start securing these devices essentially, right? So you can quickly tune the policies if needed to ensure that you're not gonna cripple your environment once you actually secure them into a better state. The other quick component or difference between the solutions is gonna be AppLocker doesn't do anything for local admin privileges. So that's a whole different skew that Microsoft knows how to, price out and nickel and dime us all. That's where it's built into Threadlocker. So you can say, if this piece of software to be able to install it, let's say it's um, AutoCAD, right? We we know that AutoCAD always requires local admin to be able to run and do updates. You can give it just that uh, admin access for that one application, but everything else that the user does doesn't have admin, and so you can greatly protect the core resources of that system. That's the biggest general overview between the two. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: I'm super passionate about it, and I, I am very, very familiar with these,
2: so I'm not going to go into too much depth. So more depth. Uh, yeah, it's for. Again, for the, the general audience, we're not trying to sell ThreatLocker per se, but but it is a very powerful tool. There's a good reason an organization like CIT would use something like ThreatLocker. And one of the biggest benefits for us as an organization is you do get a lot of bang for the buck, which is what Nate was highlighting very heavily on, on the monetization part of Microsoft. Um, but there are other pieces that we get that we are able to leverage, too. So as we work with a lot of organizations and having tool sets that allow us to to deal with multi-tenanted companies meaning we can look at multiple people and manage at, at large scale if you will in a method that works well that that works well for us that isn't something that every company can go out and do but some of the benefits that we get is we can we can deploy policies as nate was mentioning, globally or we can get very specific to specific companies or even specific applications where that gets beneficial is for an org like us if we're working with the banks we can say we know this particular core banking app runs this weird obscure batch file because it happens and in case anybody doesn't remember what a batch file is it's pretty old technology almost nothing does it anymore but the core banking app in this particular instance does you wouldn't normally expect that and if it were happening it would typically look like something that's malicious and so the fact that we've gone through this we've experienced it we've known it we can just automatically apply that hey you're a bank we know this is a possibility we're just going to go ahead and whitelist it and push it through so there are a lot of benefits for those kinds of things that are out there as well that doesn't mean there aren't other good tools as Nate mentioned there are are great tools out there and, and a little housekeeping on the acronym we dropped kelsey founded for us it's windows, windows defender application control which is an absolute mouthful but at least in this particular instance <laughs> microsoft stayed with defender which is surprising yeah.
0: um,
2: <laughs> i did it was funny that you mentioned that bank because that was it, was
1: it was the exact scenario that i was thinking of of saying these actually do solve business problems as well it's not just security trying to push more security um so especially in your regulated industries so uh in the bank that i had in mind i don't know if it's the same one that todd had but we helped a bank that had about 300 users and everyone had local admin (laughs) to their systems and for those that are sitting in a bank uh, right now maybe listening to this you go why would you ever do that (laughs) the problem is that their core banking application required local admin to be able to run properly. Well, now you have your auditors coming to you saying, you can't do that. (laughs) Well, now you're at a pickle saying, well, I still need to be able to run my bank, but my auditor says, I can't do that. So that's where the solution at least fell in the middle of that and said, we can remove local admin, let the tool do the elevation of that one core banking application. And now they meet both the business needs and the regulation, uh, the regulatory needs. So,
0: So I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent um, and kind of zoom out a little bit because because you mentioned um, these PM solutions and there's paid and then there are free and, and different mm-hmm. things you can do. So when you are going through these audits, I know the answer is going to be it depends. But is it <laughs> better just to jump it right depends. into it depends?
1: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <horrible>. <laughs> so the actual question.
0: <laughs> um, is it better to just jump right into the paid version uh, or? not you know when you're when you're talking about uh needing to get cybersecurity insurance and and meet your your audits you it depends. next the, question
1: <laughs> yeah the the biggest thing I'd just say is assess how much time you want to spend uh, tuning it right is mm-hmm. and implementing it because if you that's like the number one thing that I hear concerns about is everyone I've asked in the past do you use app Locker? um no, or or they say yes, and how is it? It's a pain in the side because <laughs> it's a lot of work, right? Yeah. And so it, it's just one of those things where if your business says we can't afford the licensing of a solution to do the labor for us, but you're okay spending that labor. Maybe you have a cheap labor, outsourced labor, whatever it is that you can make up for that, fine, do that. But just be aware that you're trading of saying, Do I want this person focused on application approvals and tuning a system, or do I want them focused on maybe a different business project that can drive the business a little more forward, right? I tend to say, let the tools do the grunt work and let your Mm -hmm. people use their minds to improve the business
2: yeah, I agree. I mean, it is the the phrasing that I've always used is automate what you can and then use your people for the highly strategic work, right? There's things that your your technical individuals should be doing that are driving you forward that are making the difference in the world, not day to day fixing antivirus things. Those things can be automated. You don't need to spend a lot of time patching your systems anymore. Um, again, in in my opinion, and this will be a little bit of a pro CIT thing, but there are organizations out there that we've seen that we've done that. We can help you with that. We can eliminate the friction. That's why we use tools like this to kind of get you going down that path. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, um, I want to back up real briefly again, because I I, I really heavily want to emphasize the privilege access management. It is a really big deal. It used to be something that was so difficult, as Nate said, when you're looking at 300 people, you go, how do I get there from here? Tools like this exist. They are there to help you through the process. Um, And then when you get into the ring fencing piece as well, or the application whitelisting, this is stuff that it used to be like that's incredibly difficult it's extremely hard to get here from here your maturity needs to be very high to get that next piece in place and that was true mm-hmm. two years ago it's mm-hmm. not anymore so again you gotta constantly reevaluate where am i at what's the next step the world's changed i need to address this and, and those two are by far it's not even close they're way up there as things that need to be addressed mm-hmm. much sooner than they used to be um now Ariel said she's going to throw a little tangent in there and I'll do this one really, really cool quickly, but I'm going to kind of contain it as much as I can. It is another one of the tenants that you need to start thinking about as you start looking at your infrastructure in the long term, saying, where am I going from here? And I'll throw out the phrase zero trust. This is one of the ways that you start the ball rolling down the hill is how do I get on that train? How do I get going on it, et cetera? These are things that you need to have in the back of your head as well. So um, Unfortunately, zero trust isn't a single product tool, whatever you you buy, you implement, and you have it. But there is a path forward, and this is one of those things that can help along that that path. Sorry. The the one last thing of why I
1: wanted to talk about why a application whitelisting privilege access management tool is going to be the next cybersecurity core, is that we are seeing more and more of these regulations adopt language into knowing the applications sprawl within your environments and who's using them because you know we've seen the federal government everyone saying supply chain risk is a massive threat to today and we see that you know so for example those that remember things like log4j the move it hack anything like that right is a uh, vendor's compromise or they push malicious software then it becomes compromised right in your environments mm-hmm. and so that's where these tools come into play to kind of again isolate that from just being automatically updated if something has changed or unsigned by a developer and then also especially things like the banks and healthcare and everything like that is do you know all the software in your environment because if there is ever or especially like the governmental you know small local business, uh, government cmmc contractors anything like that is you need to know where is the software running? Who's running it? Maybe the country of origin of some of the software as well, right? So if you're running something like 7-Zip and there's a lot of IT people just squirming right now, did you know that's a Russian company, right? So those are the types of things that, um, you know, the the DOD and everything is gonna be looking for.
2: Yeah. And, and I. Again, here we go. I, I love tangents, but I, and I won't go into this too much because I, I think we probably are running out of time, but I do agree with what Nate's bringing up here in regards to, to awareness of your, your tools. Again, when we're talking about doing assessments, one of the cores to that is, do you know what you have? You can't protect it if you don't know what you got. And so we're starting to see this bit of an uptick in SaaS management. Um, I was actually at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and and they threw out a statistic that said that an average company of 100 employees has no less than 150 SaaS tools in case anybody doesn't know what that is. It's software as a service. Those would be your your Salesforce, your office, you name it, anything that's cloud based. Um, and I was like, 150? That's a lot. But then you start going through your catalog catalog of things and you're going, wow, my my Teams or Zoom, this, that, it, it adds up extremely quickly. And to Nate's point, if you don't know what it is, you don't know who's using it, you don't have the ability to detect that, you're going to be in a bad spot. So there are tools for those kinds of things, too. I would say that one's starting to be a little bit more of an emerging thing because not everybody is cloud-based yet. Mm-hmm. But you can look at something that the example they used at this conference was just setting up a, a meeting today and assuming it's Zoom, you're probably typically using about seven SaaS tools to make that meeting happen. And it's kind of mind-blowing as you start to think about that and go, yeah, right, that's certainly possible. My sales team could be doing this. My marketing team could be doing this. Who knows?
1: Even in teams, uh, you want to send a GIF off to someone, that's using a third-party provider called Giphy to send that GIF, right? So you start seeing all those start compiling on top of each other. So
0: Yeah, wow. The, you're right. Those do kind of add up. I was trying to calculate in my head what I even knew of, but <laughs> gosh, Um
1: I could tell I, you because we monitor it.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like Todd gave me the number at one point And I, oh, man. Like, that is a lot here at CAT. But... We might have to do, you know, the next core cybersecurity core podcast. Cause I, I would love to sort of move on to this next question, which mm-hmm. affects everyone, you know. And I just love this question so much because I I feel the frustration <laughs> as I read it and because it's end user training. And you know, how how do you get these end users to actually learn and not just click through? Because I It doesn't matter what industry you're in, you are doing some level of end user training, I hope, and how do you really get it to stick?
2: I'll, I'll take the first swing in. I mean, I think there's a couple of things that you do, and the, the easy, low-hanging fruit answers are you find tools that are engaging. So a- as an example, at, at CIT, we use know Before as our main training tool set, and they've got a component of, of their training that's called the Inside Man. And what these are is, for all intents and purposes, it's a dramatization. It's basically like a TV show, but it's in a small little snippet that's easy to consume. It doesn't take an enormous amount of time. You're looking at like a three to five minute investment, but they are very interesting. So that that is something that we found to be extremely successful for us. And it it runs the gamut on 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 issues and threats that are out there. Um, We also do a fair amount of in person training. And to me, I I use probably with no surprise, I use a fair amount of humor to try and make sure that people are awake and try to catch them and see what's going on. But part two for me is I try to relate the concerns to their personal lives, and less about it being a, a company related thing. And the reason being is, well, the company is taking care of its things. It's got all these tools and solutions in place. A great example is I've I've heard companies or employees at companies go, why well, do my taxes on my company computer? Because I know it's secure. You shouldn't do that. Um. So So the conversations really go back to how do I make this hit home for you specifically when you're at home, when you don't have that extra layer of protection? And if I can make that connection for you, you're going to do the same behaviors at home that you're doing at work and vice versa yeah yeah uh, my main one was make it fun right is mm-hmm. uh the the
1: security training of the past has been so dry and long you know it's sit down for 45 minutes and you do it once a year and it, yeah. it, it's just brutal right so here at cit um this is more of the phishing tests rather than mm-hmm. the, the the full-on training we test weekly Right. And so it, there's regular cadences to the actual training and trying to detect those phishing threats. And it's successful. Right. We saw. So, you know, we, we did our monthly then. Or sorry, I think it was quarterly, monthly and then all the way down to weekly. And maybe we should flip to daily at this point. But <laughs> the when we did each significant <laughs> drop of, or sorry, increase in frequency, we saw a significant decrease in the number of people that were actually falling for the fishing test because that regular cadence makes it more, you know, fresh in their mind and everything like that. Same thing is rather than your annual 45-minute training, break it into monthly five-minute bites, right? Mm-hmm. You actually get more training throughout the year, but it doesn't feel as bad um, and it's less impactful. The, the other thing that I'd say is, when a user does click on phishing uh like a phishing email Mm -hmm. what we do is we have a couple things to where it will actually pop up a page that says yes you failed for a phishing test but it can show the flags of what to look for on the next email and why that one was malicious Mm -hmm. um and so those are the really important things there and yeah that i'd say that uh just regular training and coaching them through why something was bad.
0: Yeah. Coaching is a good word to use rather than just. uh, Parading. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yes now if if you fail like four of them in a week or two weeks or whatever it is um because that's the other thing if you fail we put you in a little more of a regular cadence like short term mm-hmm. with very easy ones and then it pops you back into the normal group um now if you fail like multiple times in the easy one we're gonna have a quick chat to again coach you through that and yes. figure out what happened so
0: yes Yeah. And, and Kelsey mentioned, um, no, before has those leaderboards now that we can see sort of, um, the departments. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, (laughs) you know, it's kind of, all of these are different approaches. So it's a little bit of a, a shotgun because something's going to stick. Everybody's motivated by something different. So if you have a lot of different approaches, you're going to, uh, motivate and connect with more people.
2: Yeah, one thing I'll throw on here for our leadership, too, so I know there, we do have some leaders that pay attention to the podcast. Don't get frustrated if you don't get early adoption. It's one of the big concerns we usually get when we talk about this is how we're going to start rolling it out. We're not mm-hmm. doing this to be punitive. So, you know, just hang in there. Most people will will overcome that relatively quickly. But where I was going with this in particular is um, there are statistics out there that show the whole seven times seven ways is the way that you communicate a lot of things to individuals. By the time that you're absolutely exhausted communicating it, it's when people are starting to hear it. So again, hang in there. It does take time, but you will get the traction. You will get going where you need to go.
0: Yeah. There's always those stragglers, but they will... (laughs)
2: They'll come along. They will
0: come along, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, So kind of continuing this end user uh, training, they asked a little bit. The next question is about AI mm-hmm. and how AI is going to be incorporated into mm-hmm. specifically know before and the phishing training and kind of what what we could see down the road for that.
1: Yeah, we have it enabled here at CIT and it's it's brutal sometimes <laughs> because the, the way that it works is that, um, rather than just sending kind of pre-canned templates, mm-hmm. um, that we say, you know, the, the services team should always receive this type of stuff. The marketing team should always receive this type of stuff. What it'll do is says it looks like, you know, Ariel just created, or sorry, just did some training on, um, fraud, right? Mm-hmm. So. Maybe that's something that I want to test just to validate that. Or maybe it's something where it's she hasn't done her fraud training in you know a year. Maybe we should go test her with something related to fraud. Um, yeah. And then also it, it'll say, well, it looks like Ariel has regularly passed one that looks like it's coming from HR. I don't mm-hmm. need to test that one anymore because we already know that she has that. But you know what marketing loves? Gift cards. Let's send her a card once <laughs> and see if she fails. Starbucks, Starbucks cards. Starbucks cards, right? <laughs> oh, Actually, uh, I have a Starbucks gift card in my pocket at the moment. <laughs> so, but yes, it's, let's tune it to the individual needs mm-hmm. of that person and try and, unfortunately, be a little bit brutal. But what it does is it expands yeah. the scope of... um they're training, right? Yeah. You're not just trying to do the same thing over and over and over again. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the benefits you'll see as this continues to happen is you're going to get better, better testing, more accurate, more timely, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So as things change, one of the things that we've historically done a really nice job of trying to do is hit things that make sense all right we're going into the holidays you're going to see a bunch of phishing campaigns around amazon and fedex deliveries and your credit card didn't go through that's just going to be something you see so having simulations that mimic that a little bit ahead of that curve does make sense and ai is only going to help with those types of things
1: uh slight tangent just because i know that these get posted on youtube as well I'm, I realize I totally flashed the numbers on the screen, so I am going to redeem this. So anyone looking at this on YouTube, <laughs> no. it's already claimed.
0: <laughs>
1: Don't even try. <laughs>
0: Don't even try. Oh man, I was going to say that, um... The the AI, it probably gives you a better idea as to what your company might be struggling with, too. Like, are we struggling as a whole team with HR emails versus, you know, external, internal versus external? And, you know, kind of comes back to that um, focused training. You know, what do we actually need? What should we actually be training our people on so we're not spending 45 minutes on everything? So we talked about a lot from last week to this week. Um, we kind of covered our cybersecurity cores. We we covered some new cores that are coming up. Is there anything, as I kind of end here and I'll, I'll open it up to anything else you want to add, are there any new technologies? I know we talked about PAM. So anything other than that, um, that people should be taking into consideration or are overlooking, or maybe you see coming down the road, like in 2024, what we're really going to be focusing on. And then I'll open it up to any. Other
2: last words? I guess the answer for me is, yeah, there's always going to be things. And it, and this, unfortunately, does fall into the it depends category because it's not as it's not as I'm sorry, <laughs> but, but it's not as easy <laughs> as this is the tool for you. It yes. is in some cases. Right. When when we made the shift to EDR, the answer was this is the tool. Pay attention. Hey, right. hey, hey the world is not ending. The sky is not falling, but you should do this. Um, the rest of the stuff, as we kind of expand out the cores into the next ring things get a little more complicated because everybody's in a little bit different positions. So for example, I was talking to an organization that had gone through a GLBA report and I, Graham Leach, Bailey, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, And, and the person that had done that had come back and they made their point. This is what you need to do and you need to do it as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And then they came to to us for some assistance. And my response is, That's a good solution, but I'll tell you from my perspective, I would not do that. Here's what I would do, and here's why. And so my answer was, yes, it is a good solution. It just doesn't meet your immediate needs, and your immediate needs are X, Y, and Z. And everybody is different. Everybody is in a different place. Um, now, that being said, things that I think are, are coming that are extremely interesting that I think are going to be you need to pay attention to this is going to be a, a game changer is, is this going to be passwordless, passkeys, that kind of stuff is what's going to be the next big push that. Is going to come. I mean, there are a lot of things out there, too. I mean, we, we've talked about tools. The, the acronym is SAS-y, um which allows you to protect your SaaS tools and whatnot. Those are extremely important. But again, not everybody's there. Not everybody's moved to the cloud. Not everybody's got the budget for it. It's complicated. It depends. But things that are coming down the pipe would include stuff like key passes, pass keys, that kind of stuff. Sorry, I plugged mm-hmm. a password manager. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For me, I think...
1: One of the initial things, you know, I totally agree with Todd on all of that, is going to be managing your devices, your your workstations in the cloud as well. Um, and the reason why is that we see more and more organizations adopt things like mobile device management or MDM solutions for their, their mobile devices, you know, cell phones, tablets, that type of stuff. Um, Microsoft, you know, if you're a Microsoft fan, is... Pushing that direction as well to be able to have your devices managed in there rather than on-premise active directory Um, One of the big reasons why that is is number one Microsoft wants people to continue moving to the cloud, right? Especially if you're a small business Mm -hmm. Um, It's I'm not gonna say it's relatively easy But it is one of those things where smaller businesses can adapt to that Far quicker than someone like a large enterprise Um, and so if you are having your devices managed via the cloud or, you know, like Intune or Endpoint Manager, um, essentially what the benefit you get after that is that your devices, they have some great configuration policies, which basically eliminates the need to do all your group policies to be able to quickly secure your devices. And then because uh, COVID has kind of sh- shifted the way that People fundamentally work and we have far more remote employees these days. If your device isn't connected to the home internet or the, the the business network via VPN or whatever it is, they're not receiving those security policies that you're trying to push out. And so that's where having it directly up to the cloud, it's always going to check in, pull the policies. And then that's where you can get even further into the whole zero trust that we talk about all the time. Um, So, for example, uh, this isn't my next item necessarily, but all of your wireless, you can move to certificate based authentication, remove the need for passwords all the time, you know, for any connection to the Internet. And you're only allowing trusted devices to access your Internet as well, Uh, kind of going to Todd's point of passwordless. Um, Because for IT admins, what's the number one cause of lockouts? It's some type of mobile device where someone changed their password and the wireless is spamming the network. Mm -hmm. Um, Or VPN. Or VPN, one (laughs) of the two. Um, So it it essentially eliminates those needs um, and greatly reduces the admin overhead for like lockouts and stuff. Um, But it's such a fundamental component to the next steps and evolutions of where your security maturity is going to go. And then I'll put a... Selfish plug-in just for identity and access <laughs> management. Uh, this is one where it's super, super core <laughs> to my heart and super passion. I think we have to have a whole podcast just about this, but of essentially, <laughs> yeah, essentially identity and access management is far more than just multi-factor. A lot of people don't understand that. Um Is It's your user directory, it's how the multi-factor works, it's the behavioral analysis of the logins, it's tying all these devices together, it's the, the automation, you know, granting access to applications and when they have access to applications. For many small businesses, you give someone access to the network and they have free reign over everything. This eliminates all that and says, what do they have access and if they move positions, can you automatically revoke access to certain tools that maybe that position doesn't need. So that's far more mature, but I would love for people to start moving that direction because we we do see more mature
2: organizations
1: adopting this all the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, both of those items were very deep tenants of of zero trust as well. So they do make sense. Mm -hmm. They are on the horizon. We will see more of them. For what it's worth, we saw a news report that came out from Cisco that talks about organizations moving towards zero trust. The numbers I thought were excessively high. It's not even close to that, but but orgs are moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. And these are tenants that make up with it. So, I mean, excellent points. The, The nice thing about the mobile device management tool, especially if you're in the Microsoft ecosystem, is there are some The organization efficiencies that you get out of going down that path in the future as well, too. So they've got autopilot is one of the tools that you can start to get into, which helps you with the deployment of your devices and so forth as well. So lots of good security reasons, but there's also great business reasons to go pursue those kinds of things as well.
0: I feel like I'm over here just writing down a bunch of podcast ideas that are (laughs) going to be filling our next
2: year. Tech's cool, man.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff coming down. And I want to take a moment and thank all of the the Tech Fair attendees who sent in questions. I really appreciate it. And it got this amazing conversation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe. Or if you have a question, please reach out to us at info at cit-net.com or head out to our website, cit-net.com slash podcast. Thank you, Tad and Nate, for joining us today, and we'll be back next week with an all-new episode.